0: How often do we get in bed and like our bodies aren't even fully there?
1: To Let It Out with me, your host, Katie Dalebout. First week of summer, first several days of summer. I hope that you are doing well. I am really happy to be here. I'm really happy to be recording this introduction. I just ate a frozen fig and I'm drinking a tea infusion that I made with nettle and oat straw and the whole gang. But if you haven't put a fig in the freezer, do yourself a favor this summer and give it a go. Actually, most fruit in the freezer is incredible. I've always put grapes in the freezer in the summer, and that's, you know, a true gift. But this fall, I was at Cookbook, a store in my neighborhood, and I was talking to someone there about how I love persimmons, and it's a fruit that is only available in the fall. And anyway, they have these very, very ripe persimmons. Persimmons? Persimmons. My friend Aaron, mutual friend of the guest of today's podcast, which I'm going to get to very quickly. This is not the fruit hour, but it appears to be. Anyway, I get this very, very ripe, like on the verge of being expired persimmon. And the person working was like, Trust me. Actually, I think he gave me one for free and he was like, I had bought a bottle of natural wine or something and he put one in a, like a, something that you would get takeout food in. He put one in a little box and he just kind of looked at me and he was like, trust me, put it in the freezer for half an hour and then take it out and it will taste like pudding. And so I did it with my friend Savannah. We put it in, we ate dinner, we took it out. And we sprinkled sea salt and cinnamon on it. And it was like this gooey, delicious fall taste sensation. <laughs> I'm high on fruit and the infusion of tea that I'm drinking. And I'm so excited to tell you about today's podcast guest. This week, I spoke with Ashley Niece. If you don't know Ashley, she's a renowned breathwork teacher, author, She has studied with some of the world's leading masters in yoga, meditation, medical intuition, and semonic therapy. And in this conversation, we explore how she helps guide people back into their bodies where they can learn beyond the cognitive mind how to cultivate resilience. We talk about how to develop relational intelligence, how to trust our own wisdom, and Ashley and I just really deeply connected in this episode. We've been trying to do this for years as we talked about, and we have many mutual friends, including Aaron and Noah, who if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've probably listened to those episodes, and I'll link the people that we've mentioned and that we do mention in this podcast in the show notes for you to go back to those episodes if you're new here. Welcome. We also cover you know, what she's learned most recently. We talk about blending community care and self-care, resourcing ourselves. I love that language she uses about resourcing ourselves. We talk about creativity and friendship. She's writing a new book. We talk about that process and motherhood. And it's a great conversation and I want to get to it as quickly as possible. I just have a couple really quick, cool housekeeping announcements. This is the biggest announcement and I'm so excited to tell you this. Our sponsor, Northwest Cherries, which I'll tell you about in a few, the best. I cannot believe that they are sponsoring this podcast. It makes me truly so happy. They are sponsoring three podcast episodes that will be in addition to these interview podcasts that will be just me. So the weeks that this will happen, there will be two podcasts that week, one that comes out on a Monday, one that comes out on a Friday. And they're going to be Q&A episodes. So I'm going to answer whatever questions you want to ask me. So we will have a spot where you can submit questions. You can DM them to the Let It Out Instagram. It's just at Let It Out with three Ts. Or comment your question on the most recent Let It Out post. And I'm going to gather them and answer your questions. The episodes will start on July 20th and then July 27th and August 3rd. So... Buckle in, send me your questions. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about, presented by Northwest Cherries. Enjoy this episode with Ashley. Ashley, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to finally get to talk to you. We have so many mutual friends, but I think most notably my very close pals that I talk to every day, and I know... They speak so highly of you and Aaron and Noah, who everyone um, who's been listening to this podcast for a minute knows about. And ever since, especially then, and we were saying before we started recording, we've been trying... The email chain
0: is two years old for getting this episode (laughs) recorded. (laughs) <laughs> Literally. Like there's like over 40 emails.
1: <laughs> oh my god. We did it. I'm so happy we're yeah. doing it. So how are you? How's your day going? My day is
0: going really well. I had a nice morning. I came into the office, my little workspace to work for a few hours and then I went home and got to hang out with our son Solomon and put him down for his nap, which was just such a cozy time and then kind of just rest with him in bed for a while before Getting up, having lunch, and coming back to the office to talk to you. So it's been great.
1: Good. I love that. So you are writing your second book, I believe. How is that process going? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's
0: (laughs) like, um, it's funny you mentioned Aaron and Noah earlier because Noah's actually designing my next book.
1: Oh, amazing.
0: Yeah, which I'm so excited about. He's so talented. And Erin and I have been, you know, voice noting back and forth for the better part of the last year while she's been working on her second book, which I know is already in print right now.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: she's kind of been my person I've been talking to a lot about this. And honestly, I I've really been struggling with book number two. Like, I've been struggling with the fact that my creative process and my kind of creative flow is not something that I can just call upon whenever I want it. Um, and it's also something that doesn't always fall into the certain amount of allotted time that I have each day to write, you know? So it's like, it's just funny thing, like working with creative energy and working with creativity. It's like, it doesn't always happen like on the specific timeline or when I want it or need it to. And so in this process and through talking with Aaron, I've just really, especially in the last couple of weeks, I've had to just kind of let just be more gentle with myself in the process and just go, okay, well, some days I'm going to go to the studio to write and the flow is going to be there. And I'm going to do the things that I need to do to get into that flow state and it will turn on. And a lot of days it won't. And on the days that it won't, I don't have to like push myself to this point of just doing a ton of bad writing. I can just let it be what it is. And I don't know, that's just, that's been a really big thing for me because I tend to push and push and push and push and so much of my work these days is actually to push less and just create more space. And in that space, the trust that the creative energy will flow, the words will come, and I don't need to like make myself sick in the process. I can actually just create the space for it to happen. Does that make sense?
1: It does. And it feels really relevant to your work. And it's funny that you bring up the creative process. And I'm thinking about Aaron and Noah now. And when I was. At their house, their church, they live in a church. I, not like in the back of a church, it's a, if you haven't listened to that episode, it's a house that used to be a church. <laughs> but we were laying on the floor and talking about like essentially this and how the creative process is so elusive. And in my work, I named what I do with people the creative clinic because Aaron had a clinic for herbalism and well-being and being a practitioner. And I got the the name of like a creative clinic because I think so much of this, I need to constantly talk out with people and have conversations with because it is lonely. It can be lonely. It can be frustrating. And then on the other side of that, it can be really beautiful and... Unbelievable and easy and joy filled, but in the middle of that is, you know, everything else. And I just think having support and talking it out, and I'm so happy that you have Aaron and Noah and good people around you because the creative process is messy and non linear and such a mirror for life. You know, I think what you were saying about your process mirrors the uncertainty that it is to be person in the world and why we turn to all the different coping mechanisms that we turn to, or positive ones, negative ones, and everything in between. And what you were saying about not forcing really landed with me because, and I think it's such a beautiful connection to your work, you know, with with breath work and the types of things that you teach about and practices that you do. But anyway, not forcing reminded me of this Alan Watts Quote that I just read the other day. I'm going to have to send it to you and maybe I'll read on this podcast. But it was about this exact piece of like, whenever you try to force something, it doesn't work and you can't do it. And I feel like that is the lesson that I keep having to learn over and over and over again, where like I want it to be my way, I want it to be my timeline. And when it isn't, I try to force it into that rather than just relaxing into it is and letting go and coming back and pausing essentially, like I think is what you were saying,
0: yeah. and i'm I'm really appreciating what you're saying on so many different levels. And you know, what's coming up for me in this moment is just, especially now that I've you know my family and I left the city. We live out in the Sierra foothills near Yosemite National Park. We're on. Twenty, I think it's like 29.7 acres. We just round up to 30 because that's just easy. So we're on almost 30 acres, just shy of it. And spending the last, what have we been out here? Like 13 months out here has also really connected me more to this to this deeper rhythm, right? There's this other, there's all these rhythms. So there's like the rhythm of the city. There's the rhythm of our internal lives. There's the rhythm of our familiar lives. There's the rhythm of nature. You know, there's all these different rhythms and different layers that we can tap into. And so much of the push for me and the forcing for me has been just this internal layer that's always just like three steps ahead of myself and always kind of looking ahead to the next thing and wanting to kind of be somewhere that I'm not right it's like if I could just get there if I can just mm-hmm. get there because when I'll get there when I get my book done or when my child turns 3 or whatever the thing is it's like you just fill in your own blank and it's like then you know i can relax my nervous system or then i can have the spaciousness or then i can indulge in taking a nap or whatever the thing is that i want to do and it's just reminding me what you were sharing that like, actually there's seasons and there's rhythms. And sometimes we're just in that season where you're just in the flow, you know? And it's like, I'm not even trying. It's just, things are happening and it's magical and it's beautiful and everything's connected and everything's aligned. And then there's other seasons where it's like, no matter how hard I try to couple something together, it just like literally falls apart. And then I have to just step back and go, okay, <laughs> you know, maybe it's not the time to like bring out the glue and try to fix this thing. Maybe it's better just to leave it as is and then turn my attention towards something else. Because usually for me in those moments, there's actually something else that needs my attention and it's a good time to look at that. Yeah. When
1: I, gosh, just so many things, so many way, places I could take the conversation. When I was in Bali, right before I visited Aaron and Noah, actually, this is going to just become like the Aaron and Noah name drop hour. (laughs) I'm fine with that. (laughs) (laughs) But I went to this practitioner in Bali and he gave me this mantra, here, now, in this. And that has become the thing I constantly am coming back to. It's become my mantra. It's become the mantra of Creative Underdogs, the, the workshop that I lead. Someone made me a a print of it it's like something that i just constantly try to come back to and forget all the time and when after that i i received that that mantra <laughs> it wasn't like someone gave me a mantra but like this guy said this to me and i remember being at Aaron and Noah's and like the way that we all worked we noticed was like quite different where like Aaron and i or, or just the way that they both spending so much time together we were working together and resting together. And I loved something about them that I noticed that now I've completely pivoted my life to be like this, but living in New York, it was like, I got to get my work done. And I got, like you were saying about leaving the city and I hadn't left it. I'm guess I'm in another city now, but it doesn't feel really like a city like New York did. And it was just constantly like all in working. And they, one morning I was there and they're like, let's, we actually like aren't getting anything done. Do you want to go to the beach? And I was like, yes, I absolutely want to go to the beach. And that was such a watershed moment for me to be like instead of just like pressing on on my computer and like going in circles, let's actually rest and come back to this and that might be more productive because I think the logical thing doesn't necessarily seem like the best solution is pausing, but it's always the best solution than just spinning your wheels, you know, But I think it's the the ego, which is like speaks first and speaks loudest, as they say, is telling you otherwise. you know, and really, like the gentler voice is there to say, like, actually, why don't you this isn't working? Let's reapproach. But that's scary, you know?
0: yeah, <laughs> it's really scary, and I'm just over here smiling because I, I totally relate and I think for me it's been this kind of evolution of learning how to pause and I remember a years ago a teacher that was actually one of his kind of tenets of teaching was this idea of practicing pausing and what does that look like to for example when you're in a fight with your partner like calling a pause like hey could we take a pause for a moment and just take a breath and just make eye contact with each other you know and just try to get regulated a little bit or Perhaps it's in work, like what we're talking about. It's just the creative process. Like, I loved what you shared about. Let's just, let, yeah, let's go to the beach. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, that's actually <laughs> going to really expand you and open you up way more for whatever that next thing is, anyway. But sometimes it can feel so counterintuitive, especially in a culture that tells us that, like, it's like really fucked up to take a pause. You know what I mean? When actually, if all of us just collectively would take a pause and take many pauses throughout the day think we could accomplish a lot more.
1: Yeah, and there's something about like I I hope I can articulate this. What and you were alluding to it I think a little bit of like there are times when I am almost flabbergasted by how much i can get done in a day and how easy it is and how things are just flowing and it's like okay that person calls me it works out yeah i can meet you they're actually i'm right in the neighborhood and oh the, there's a spot right here and sure i can drop that off and like oh i just like Powered through seven email and that just like kind of flows and works. And then there are times where there are days where it's like, I can't even decide what I'm going to do first. So I'm going to do nothing, you know? And it's so the opposite. And I think on those days to just completely lean out and go back to here now in this like leaning out is the only effective thing I can do. And there's a loss there. Like there's a loss of like, man, I wish it was a day where I could get a lot done. And sometimes you have to force that. Sometimes you do have to force a little bit of like, well, I have a deadline or like I have a child or I have, you know, they're like, we have to live in this world. But if anything can be more loose and you have the luxury of of doing that, there's still a frustration to it. Like the creative process in writing a book, I'm sure is is that where it's like, well, I wanted to... My deadline is far, but I wanted to get X amount done before the end of the day because that gives you like a hit of dopamine you know, and momentum to keep going. And sometimes when that's not possible that day, you're not going to get the hit of dopamine, the momentum, and it's a little bit harder to dive back in. And there is a loss to that, but it's also like there are those days where you just get so much done, it makes up for it. You know, like being in the flow overforcing will actually in the long term be a net positive. Did that make sense?
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think it it really touches on that idea too of seasonality and just sometimes like I'll have weeks where I'm more in the flow and the writing is coming and then I'm in a a period of weeks now where it's just it's just choppy, you know. It's really it's yeah. like coming in fits and starts, and there's a little bit here and a little bit there, and I'm not really. It's like I'm still in the dark, kind of just putting these pieces together, and I'm not totally sure how they're going to fit yet. And there's a bit of that, but I think that that is part of, yeah, it's part of the seasonality of it too. And like it's not just like a straight shot up, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just that's never how the curve works. It's like it's a curve and it ebbs and flows and. It's really been so much of a process for me to just be more in that place of trust when it's not coming in the as quickly as I want it to come or in the time that I want it to come. And it's never, it's never not come. Like that's been my experience. The creativity has never not come. So I can also. When I'm in a really <laughs> tough state, just remind myself of that too. It's like, okay, yeah, I've never just been without this. It will show up. And right now it's not. So to your point, like, what could I do? Let's go hang out with Solomon some more. Let's go for a walk. Let's go just sit here and like stare at this flower for a little while, or let's just do something else entirely. But I think those are really potent moments because when it's not coming, there's some piece that I can do in there to like, just fill my fill my cup even more.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah that makes so much sense and I think space is the the one thing that I think is most crucial for the creative process and I loved what you said about seasonality like I think it is so cyclical and for creative underdogs I made this positive feedback loop it's 4 months so like the first month is space like creating space and then gather and then try and then share and then you do it again and I notice that when we were emailing back and forth for scheduling this and rescheduling this that you are taking space for writing your book because i think statistically you have a better chance of allowing the spark to come and having the space to catch it when you give yourself just a lot of space. And my friend Leah and I were talking about this the other night where like things were getting busier again. And we were just feeling overwhelmed and strapped for space and time and people and just feeling a bit like Gumby. And she said, take more nights off because... We were both feeling frustrated that, like, when we do take a night off, it's like, well, now I don't even have the energy to work on my creative work. And a friend said to her, like, take more of those nights off because eventually you will, or one night you will. And I think it goes back to what you're saying of like, it's never not come, it will come, but you have to give it the space. So when it does, you can meet it.
0: That's exactly right. I feel that so truly. And, you know, another big part of it for me is that. Like as a writer, the and I know everybody has a completely different process, but my personal experience and process with writing is that writing is like the kind of the last step in my writing process. And there's so many other things I do to be able to get myself to be able to write. And that's, you know, obviously simple things like reading other books or researching and, you know, the different things that I'm collecting for my book. But it's also just, I have to have a lot of mental, like this white space And as a mother of a toddler who my partner and I co-parent, so we don't have like relatives or anybody else helping with Solomon, it's the two of us. And I'm not saying that as like, you should feel sorry for me. Of course not. It's like, there's very little (laughs) white space in my life. And so actually taking the time to carve out, like, I just need to be like in my studio without anything going on, just literally so I can hear my own thoughts is a huge part of my writing process as well, and so on the days when I'm like trying to get the pen to paper and the words aren't coming, I will often just go, "Oh, okay, I can use this time to just do a little meditation, do some breath work, connect to myself, and just literally think and just allow my mind to just go where it needs to go." And those moments are always so beneficial and like so few and far between too, with with the way my life is these days, you know. So
1: yeah, I'm curious. Obviously, or for people who don't know, your your work has centered around breath work. And I heard you say as I was researching for this episode, breath work is meeting yourself. Can you talk about that and then define breath work and how you integrate it into your practice today?
0: Yeah. So breath work to me is is really about meeting yourself. And what that means to me is that it's an opportunity to connect to a very simple, very primal, very essential function of our bodies and of ourselves that is often so overlooked. I remember, you know, eight, nine years ago when I first started my practice and I was in LA at the time and I was doing, I was just starting to get into a lot of corporate workshops. And so I'd go into these like massive corporations with a bunch of like Older dudes and ties with their arms crossed, super stressed. You know, that many of them had already had like tons of health issues going on from the amount of stress, pulling like 70, 90 hour weeks. I mean, it was completely bananas. And they're like, What can you tell me about breathing? You know, <laughs> we're just like, mm-hmm. they're basically like, this seems like total bullshit. And I'm like, okay, well. And then I take them through these different exercises. And, you know, within 20 minutes, they're all kind of going, oh. Okay, like I wasn't even in my body, or I didn't even know that I was holding my breath, or I didn't realize that the majority of my breath was like kind of up in the upper part of my lungs, and that that was actually continuing to perpetuate the stress cycle in my body. So all these different things. It's like to me, breathwork is really about going into yourself and learning how to feel your body and to feel your own rhythm and to feel your body breathing and moving. So that's that's really it on a very foundational level and. As far as how I define it now, I think in my early days I was really kind of gung ho, like breath work can cure everything. You know, it's like the one thing everybody needs. And I do still feel like I feel like there's, you know, there's things that we need in addition to breath work, of course. And I don't necessarily think today in the same way that I did when I was more like green in my practice that it can is the cure all for everything, but. I do feel that it can support us with so many things. And the number one thing these days that I'm realizing that breathwork can support us with is giving us options and giving us as many options as possible in a given situation. And so what I mean by that is that breathwork, basically through cultivating a breathwork practice, that your nervous system will be more used to and be more accustomed to being in a relaxed, more grounded, neutral place. And when you're able to tap into that grounded, neutral place, you have much more options online for whatever it is that you're facing in your life. And when you're not in that grounded, neutral place, when you're more of in a state of anxiety or stress or overwhelm or you know activated nervous system response, your choices are very limited. And I grew up with a lot of trauma in a lot of situations where my nervous system was just completely activated and I grew up often feeling like I didn't have choice in so many situations. And so, so much of the work with breath work is actually learning how to regulate myself so that I can make a choice. And so, I don't feel like I don't have an option for whatever it is that I need to have an option for.
1: Wow. I love that. I had an interesting experience recently where, you know, I hadn't had any sort of body work in over a year. And a friend of mine gave me a facial. And I was so relaxed for the first time in a really long time. And I had exactly what you're talking about happen. Like I had an idea for a solution. You know, it was kind of like what they say of like, you know, an idea comes in the shower while you're driving when you're relaxed. And I just really relate to that. And it was kind of this aha moment of I need to do whatever it takes to get to that Sort of state more often to have the peace, to have more options and presence. And I am so curious about breath work specifically because I have never done it, <laughs> and I have, as as you know, been doing this podcast for nearly a decade and never had anyone speak about breath work on this podcast. So I'm really eager to learn more. And I think it is something that could potentially be really
0: useful to me. I am. Well, first I want to say, I completely know the feeling that you're talking about after your body work. Just that kind of, to me, it feels like integration. It's like when Mm. my mind and my body are like together, right? It's like, and that's how I got into all of this years ago. And um, when I first got into yoga and I was in Shavasana and I was like, oh my God, like, this is like what I was looking for when I was doing MDMA and like all the different stuff that I had done in my youth, like trying to get connected to myself. And that's how I felt in Shavasana. And then from there, you know, I went on kind of seeking that experience. of like, what else can give me this experience of just being connected to myself and relaxed in my body? I was so hooked at that point. And, once I found breath work, it was amazing because I didn't have to do all the yoga to get to the Shavasana. I could just kind of get to the Shavasana. And for someone who's like, as kind of, I don't want to say high strung because I don't feel like I'm high strung anymore. But when I first started all this work, I would definitely kind of categorize myself as that just high strung, hypervigilant, often living from a PTSD response. So being able to tap into something that could calm my central nervous system so much was really helpful for me. And I was excited that I didn't have to do like 45 minutes of yoga to get that effect. I could just actually go right into the breathing. What's cool about breath work is that it is all about our body and our physiology and regulating our nervous systems and all of that. But then once we do those things, the deeper layers to me of breath work are that it really helps. And I'll just speak for myself, not as like here's what breath work can do for everybody in a more general way. But for me, what it's helped with is helping me learning how to regulate my emotions, how to take much better care of myself because I'm more aware of my body, right? Instead of just pushing myself to the point of getting hives or pushing myself until my back is out. It's like I have somatic markers. Now I have cues that when my body is like going into that stress response to stop what I'm doing and actually take care of myself instead of going to the point where I'm sick and, before I started these practices, I was just always kind of in these cycles of pushing myself and pushing my body so hard until I would be forced to be in bed, right? That was kind of the way my life looked. And now I don't have to do that. Like I don't have to completely collapse and go into like burnout or adrenal fatigue to be okay. And breath work, especially now as being a parent, it's helped. I know that it's helped me become a better parent and a more present parent and a parent who is less overwhelmed. (laughs) And on the kind of deepest level, I feel like breathwork has really helped me heal and repair my past and heal and repair places in my body and psyche and nervous system that I never thought would heal.
1: Wow. I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned, I have so many questions, but you mentioned somatic healing and the process. And I think in another podcast I listened to you on and, you know, thinking about speaking to you, you were talking about therapy and doing talk therapy and how, you know, you've done that and it can only get so far because things are, are held in the body. Could you talk about that a bit?
0: Yeah. So it was, you know, I started talk therapy when I was, uh, I think, 11 or 12. I'd have to ask my parents to get the exact year that I started, but I know it was around the time they were getting divorced when I saw my first child psychologist. And honestly, I credit those sessions with her. I probably saw her for a year or two at that point with so much of the work that I do today. And even though I'm not a child psychologist or a talk therapist, but you know, it was more, she talked to me and we, you know, we kind of process cognitively a lot of what was happening in my life at the time, but more than anything, what she did for me was give me a safe space to just, I would just go. And I remember I would get to those therapy sessions with her and I would curl up on her couch and just lay there sideways, like kind of in a fetal position. And that's how we would do most of our therapy sessions mm-hmm. with just me in the fetal position. And she never was like, "You need to sit up. you need to do it this way. this is how it's supposed to look." you know it was none of that. She was just like, "Come on in, like get yourself comfortable. Like, what do you need to support yourself in this moment?" And then let's talk about like the craziness that you're experiencing in your house. And it was her attunement and her care, just her genuine care about my well-being, I think, was the most kind of impactful therapy that I was having it was less about the conversation and more about that attunement and what I learned through her you know in those subsequent years of just doing so much therapy was if, that if the attunement with the therapist or whatever practitioner you are seeing isn't there the healing can't really happen because there's no safety and there's no trust if your nervous system doesn't trust the nervous system that's in front of you like there's going to be no co-regulation there's going to be no way for you to sync up with each other because that's really the ultimate As far as I'm concerned, is healing. Like, whatever you say, whatever breathing practice you do, whatever thing is on top of that is great and it's important and it's relevant. But if there's no baseline of attunement, then you don't really have a foundation to work off of. And for me these days, like, you know, the way that I think about the somatic piece and was really about finding those more somatic focused therapists because. Once I found that work, I was like, oh, here's a therapist who understands their own nervous system, who understands that it affects my nervous system. And this is a person who's like not getting enmeshed with me, who's not taking on my stuff, who's not like, you know, saying all these words that don't actually match how their body is feeling. And, you know, for me, as someone who's like highly sensitive and can like read people really well, it's like, If something isn't in integrity or if something isn't lining up, it's like the person who's yelling at you being like, I love you. You're like, yeah, but you're yelling and your body language is saying something totally different than the words coming out of your mouth. You know, I think it's like a child of just like growing up in an alcoholic family. That was always so mind boggling to me because I'm like, you're saying this thing, but then your action is completely different. So anyway, I have like a highly, like I can just register that really easily on people in, in very subtle ways. And so when I would sit with a therapist and I could feel that they weren't in their body, I never could really get where I needed to go in therapy and so it wasn't until I found more somatic kind of trauma focused therapy where I was like oh this person understands how their body works and how they are in space and how that affects me and then this deeper layer of healing can take place that's beyond just what we're saying right it's actually it's our bodies communicating and you know the thing about somatics it is it is very much tied to the breath it's tied to our body it's tied to our our internal impulses. So for example, if I had an experience and I'll just keep using myself as an example, cause that's easy, <laughs> but like an experience where I was in a situation that I wanted to get out of, but for whatever reason I couldn't, my body in that moment, even though I wasn't able to get out of a situation that I wanted to get out of my body has an impulse to do something. Right. And so that impulse is actually trapped in my nervous system. And that is the impulse that has to get released in order for me to have the healing. So it's less about going to therapy and talking about, here's a time when I was trapped and I couldn't get out and it was really scary. And these are all the things, and this is all the meaning that I've made out of that. And this is all the shame that I carry. And these are all the ways that I'm trying to navigate that. But if that therapeutic context doesn't address that impulse in my system that didn't get a chance to complete itself, I can't actually have integrated healing. So both those pieces need to be present.
1: Mm. Wow. I'm just like taking all of this in. I I think maybe just talking about this has made me more in my body because we're talking about nervous systems connecting and anxiety. And I realize how that's not my natural state. I'm trying to be better at that being something that I do check in with because my I've gotten very very good at ignoring my body and being, you know, I I had a therapist tell me once you are in your head and not in your body and you think your feelings instead of feeling your feelings and so that's something I've been aware of for a few years but it wasn't, you know, my parents also got divorced when I was 10 or 11, 5th grade whatever that is and I never went to therapy. I never, like, no one, I was just like, my my mom, I'm from the Midwest and I didn't even know what therapy was other than like, I thought it was like, I had the, a definitely stigmatized it in my brain. And my eating disorder got me into therapy, what I thought was young in in my life in college. And I think that was such a Like see me, see what I'm feeling in my body. I need, you know. It was like I'm I'm realizing that now, and hearing you talk about, you know, getting in your body and the nervous system syncing up. It goes back to presence too. Of like, that's why I love doing these conversations because I'm doing one thing, and Mm. I'm in my body, and I'm here, and I'm feeling whatever I'm feeling. And you know, I just think that that. That's kind of the only way,
0: and I'm just really happy that you had that experience and now
1: can share it with people.
0: Thank you. You know, and it's I've been on um, doing this work for so long, and I've been really into the, you know, it's like I said before, it was yoga, like Shavasana was kind of the gateway into all this body work for me and the breath work, which is another, just another kind of tool, right, or practice for somatics for getting into your body. And, you know, I want to say this too, for anyone listening who does suffer from any PTSD or anxiety or overwhelm, sometimes breathwork can be activating, right? It can trigger things and it can bring up a lot of stuff. And, you know, it definitely brought things up in me. And when I first started my practice and was doing big groups, I would see just how much it would bring up within the group. And so it's, it's really important when you're doing any kind of work like this to just go slow. You know, it's, The thing about healing that I find so amazing, it's like we're on this path and we're doing this little bit, right? We're doing these little repairs, as one of my teachers would say, and then we titrate the healing, which just means we do a little bit at a time. So when we do that little bit, then we can metabolize it, right? We do a little bit and then we can metabolize it. We do a little bit and then we can metabolize it. If we just blow ourselves out and just do this like massive, big healing, it's really hard to metabolize that. And I used to see that a lot in my early days of breath work. Like, oh, people go in for these like two hour sessions and they come out just like completely blasted. You know, it's like my third eye is open and I've just unleashed all this like trauma from when I was three. And like, isn't this great? (laughs) And it's like, and then there's just like, but you're just open, open, open and going up, up, up. And the only way to like get out of that is to, you know, come crashing down. And so instead of thinking about just, Going on this, like a massive healing adventure to like heal it all, like right away, just do a tiny bit. And what's cool is that, you know, for so long, I felt like I had to know, like for intellectually, like, okay, I'm going to work with this practitioner and this therapist, who, you know, whatever healer I'm working with. It's like I wanted in my mind to be like, here's my intention and here's where I want to go and here's all the things that I want to work on. And if I continued to work like that, I would literally. I'm probably going to be in therapy until I die. You know, it's like, and then at some point, and I had a, one of my teachers say this years ago, she was, you know, she's in her 60s and she's like, at some point, I just got fucking tired of talking about my parents in therapy. It's like, at some point, yeah. there comes this time where you're like, And it's not about am I ever going to get over this because we all know that's not real. You never get over it. But at some point, do I want to just like step into the adult body that I'm in right now and just like differentiate a little bit more and actually just like integrate the experience, or do I want to keep like talking about how hard it was? And it's like we have to keep going through how hard it was until we're just done, right? (laughs) So we're like, okay, and then we start grieving you know, all the loss and all the things that we didn't get and all the ways that the people that were supposed to show up for us were not able to show up for us. And we can kind of see the bigger picture. But really at some point for me, it was like, I just want to, instead of going to my brain, like, okay, brain, what am I going to do in the session? Like, let me check in with my body. Because the cool thing is stuff will always come up and I don't have to like, again back to the forcing or pushing i don't have to force or push my healing i can actually trust that my body will reveal the next layer when it's ready
1: have you always been someone connected to your body and in your body yes and no
0: <laughs> so it's kind of a two-parter like i grew up i went to a montessori school until i was in until i was 11 and montessori is a very tactile way of learning it's a very embodied way of learning because you're learning by doing and to this day that tends to be how i learn things i need to like get my hands you know in the dirt so to speak and actually kind of i can read books of course i can listen to things and watch stuff but i actually learn best by doing so that's why i've always been engaged in different kind of hands-on practices so there's that piece You know, and it was interesting. So it's like that piece coupled with like all the, you know, craziness and trauma from my childhood. It was interesting. I oscillated a lot. Like I'd have times where I'd feel really in my body and really present, and other times where I just would like have to check out. And um, I was also a dancer when I was young, and I danced with a junior company until I was 14 ballet and modern dance. And so having You know, the Montessori and having the ballet and modern dance so early on in life, I had such a deep connection to my body and really just even knowing on a functional level, like what my body can do and how it moves in space and, you know, all those kinds of things. But then once things started getting in my kind of internal world got so painful, I just didn't want to be in my body anymore. It just became such a painful place to be. Even though it was, there were times in my life when it was a resource for me, it became, it basically was it wasn't resourcing for me anymore, and I was looking for things outside of myself to resource myself. so it was both. You had mentioned earlier that
1: you now don't need to burn yourself out. you can catch it quicker if you are out of your body and come back. What are the practices that are stabilizing and restful for you right now, including breath work? And like I'm, I'm curious what your actual breath work? Practice looks like now, and and some other things that lately have been stabilizing and and restful for you, or help get you back into your body if you ever get a little bit out of it or overwhelmed. Now,
0: so I do a couple different things. Um, obviously, breathwork is number one, I and mean, the the cool thing about breathwork is that it it's a standalone practice, right? So it's something that I can do seated, lying down, standing up. But it's also a practice that I can do in conjunction with another practice. So sometimes when I'm thinking about things like, what can I do to ground or be more present in my body or be more focused, whatever the thing is that I'm wanting to really address in that moment, I can do, you know, I can layer things and I can stack things in a particular way. So that might look like, you know, on a day when I'm going home and I'm putting Solomon down for his nap and I feel like too keyed up to go to sleep (laughs) or rest, I'm like, oh, I gotta keep going. I'll do, you know, inhale through my nose and then I'll exhale through my mouth just as long and slowly as I can as I'm lying down in the bed next to him. And I'll do that for five or 10 minutes just until my nervous system and my body starts to land and rest. And as I'm doing that, so as I'm inhaling through my nose and exhaling through my mouth, lying there in bed, I'm also bringing my attention to how the bed feels on my back so the points of contact between my back, the backs of my thighs, my hamstrings, the backs of my calves, my heels, my arms, my head on the pillow. So any part of my body that's making contact with the pillow or the bed I'm bringing my awareness there as I'm breathing. And both of those things together really help my body settle and land so that I can rest. Even if I don't fall asleep, I've really, especially since becoming a parent, have began to really like value. And just again, going back to that, like blank white space in my mind and just giving that to my body too. It's like, you know what, for this next 20 minutes, I'm just going to lay here. If I fall asleep, that's a bonus. If not, I'm still just going to lay here and breathe and just feel myself on my bed. It's like, it sounds so simple, but it's really, really grounding. And how often do we get in bed and like our bodies aren't even fully there, you know, to your point about having the body work, I was working with this really incredible... um, I was in a training. Actually, this was like five years ago in this uh, trauma-informed body work training. And I remember lying on the table and my teacher had her hands, like one hand under either one of my shoulder blades. And I could feel that they were kind of releasing to varying degrees. And my right shoulder, which tends to be a little bit more hiked up for me because of my own kind of body pattern, I could feel that that shoulder blade was like not releasing under the table. My left one was a little bit... And so I we went through these practices. And then at some point I just felt my right shoulder blade drop. And I will never forget just like the intensity in which it dropped down, but also that kind of body knowing of, oh my God, so that's what it feels like when I'm feeling safe, when my shoulders are able to actually completely let go and release into the table, you know, into this person's hands. And I'll just never forget that moment. I swear one day I'm going to like just write about the details of that because it was so, it was such a hopeful moment for me in the sense that oh, my body can do a different pattern now. Like I can actually take a different shape. I don't have to continue in this shape that is causing me stress and pain and just also reinforcing like a lot of my history, I can do something different. So that's anyway, that's where that kind of working on the back comes into play. Another thing that I do a lot on the land is walk, and I just walk really slowly. And thankfully with a toddler, it makes it really easy because he's always stopping like every 10 feet to look at something. He's like, hey, look at this piece of grass or, hey, look, there's a lizard going down a hole or, hey, what's that over there? So it's it's such a delight to walk with my son because it just slows me down to this pace that is so regulating and so resourcing for my body. And I get to do it and be like totally present and in connection with him and really like, Seeing what he's focused on, which is so always so interesting to me. Um, and then another thing I want to mention, because I just think, especially for anyone listening who's interested in, you know, if you don't have necessarily access to being able to go on a walk where there's, you know, where it's really quiet, is to do some work with your feet. And so you can do this by getting a lacrosse ball, which is like a really hard, about four inch in diameter ball. You can order them online and you can stand up. So, you'll take just one ball. You'll basically stand with your feet hip distance apart. And then you'll take one ball and place it under the sole of one of your feet. And then you'll lean into the ball just as much as you can. It's going to be probably really painful because most of us have really tight feet, even though we don't even know it. Um, And so, you'll just basically move that ball around the arch of your foot, around the ball of your foot, maybe even into the heel. And you'll just find those spots that are really painful. And you'll breathe into them. You'll do the same thing. You'll inhale through your nose, nice and slowly. You'll exhale through your mouth, just so gently. And you'll do that a couple of times on each foot. That's really waking up your feet. Because what's so cool about our feet is that it's something like, and I'll have to get the exact study for you, but it's around 80% of the information that we get in our bodies comes through the soles of our feet. So just think about that for a second, because wow. it's like really amazing, right? And so we're walking around a lot of times like on concrete or with shoes on. We're just missing so much information. So when you start to wake up the soles of your feet and you breathe and you use some, you know, something like a lacrosse ball or whatever you have to just really get into those muscles and opening things up, it is literally a game changer.
1: What do you mean we take in, in more information? I'd heard that like the pores on our toes are the like take in the most. My friend puts, like if she's using essential oils, if her kids are sick, she like puts it in their socks at at night because their feet are more porous, I think. But what do you mean like taking in information?
0: So it's like we take in sensory information. So like when we're, you know, with our eyes, we look around and we're taking in visual information. And so with our feet, we're taking in sensory information. We're taking in Energetic information. It's also how we're connecting to, you know, the magnetic, the Earth's magnetic field, the pull of the Earth through under our feet, and so it's really important that we spend as much time as we can barefoot. Mm, wow, cool.
1: I'm interrupting this episode with Ashley to tell you about creative consulting. These last couple of weeks, I've been mentioning that. I have this creative clinic and I just put it out to my email, let it out letter. If you're not on that and want to be, I send out like a little essay and links from time to time and the show notes to these episodes. If you'd like to get those right to your email, feel free to join. But anyway, I just put it out there and so many of you reached out to do a free session with me and I would love to talk to you if you want to learn more about working with me in a one-on-one capacity in the Creative Clinic. So the Creative Clinic is a place to develop a creative practice that works for you. Maybe it's integrating more journaling. Maybe you have a full-time job and you want to have more creativity in your life outside of that or included in that. I talk to a lot of freelancers and we work on together having support within freelance, within being a person who does a lot of things and feels a lot of feelings. I talk about the blending of spirituality and creativity and being a person in recovery and working on all of the challenges that come up being a person being a person with many ideas maybe not a lot of time Whether you have a full-time job or you are a freelancer or you do several things or you want to do more creative things and you want to work on any of that with me or just feel supported in any of that, this is the place for you. So book a free half an hour session. There's a couple more left and I think I have one or two more spots in the creative clinic i can just only do a couple people at a time and i think there's a couple spots left one or two so by the time you're listening to this hopefully there still are the link will be in the show notes if you want to do it and if you have any questions let me know My summer wouldn't be complete without today's sponsor, Northwest Cherry Growers. That's right. This episode is brought to you by the delicious, sweet, summertime fruit, Northwest Cherries. I ate some last night. I love them so much beyond their crisp juicy flavor, and deep red color, sweet cherries pack an abundance of nutritional benefits to support your health year-round. Research shows that sweet cherries have a positive effect on inflammation, blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, cognitive function, and even sleep. Do yourself a favor, add sweet cherries to your shopping list today. Now available online and in grocery stores nationwide, Tis the season for cherries. Visit nwcherries.com slash sweet health to learn more. I heard you say on another podcast that at the beginning of, of COVID, it was hard for you to want to do some of your practices that you know. I love your word resource you. like, I, I think that I really liked how you said that. But I think you mentioned you did a lot of foot baths. Can you talk about both of those things?
0: Yeah. I really struggled in the beginning of the pandemic. A lot of it in part was because we lost our incredible Mariah. Her name's Mariah. We call her Mariah Poppins, who was helping us with Solomon. And yeah, when we lost childcare. And like I mentioned before, we didn't we don't have any family or anything around to help us with that. So it was it was a lot. And You know, it's like the thing that we forget in our culture is that (laughs) children are supposed to grow up in community, right? It's like babies are supposed to be tended to by grandmothers and aunts and uncles and you know, sisters and brothers, and they're supposed to have like deep connections with multiple people. That's really important for the health of the children and just for the whole community as a whole. And so, you know, parenting, like co-parenting with my partner, and then both of us, you know, have our own businesses. We both work and we're also totally you know, devoted to our son. And so we're like, okay, how can we kind of work? How can we shave our work hours down to the least amount possible so that we can still make the money that we need to make, to take care of our family and support it without completely, again, getting burnt out. So it's a dance, right? It's this like fine dance. So it was a lot in the beginning to just juggle that and just to figure out, okay, how are we going to do this? And then it was, I just found like, a lot of the stuff that I was leaning on just wasn't working because my level of stress was so high. And I had stopped teaching public classes for a long time. And so interestingly, one of my friends, she says this a lot, lXL, but she always talks about like self-care versus community care and not as in like one's better than the other, but like, how are you taking care of yourself so that you can show up for your community, right? Because I feel like so much of what we've been hearing for the last, decade or so in health and wellness is self-care. And now because of the pandemic and because so much has come to light, we're focusing more on community care, which I think is really, really important and awesome. So for me, it was like, okay, I'm not sure how to do this Life thing right now, so I'm just gonna pop online and I'm just gonna offer these free sessions and we'll just see who shows up because I'm sure I'm not the only one who's just a little bit confused right now and like overwhelmed and all the things. So I just hopped on, I like went on Instagram and I was like, I'm gonna do some free breathwork sessions if anyone wants to come. And I was completely like floored by how many people showed up and just showed up so like generously and like with enthusiasm and just really with their full self. And so I was leading these like massive classes and something shifted for me. It was like what I learned in AA all those years ago. It was like, when I'm not sure what to do, maybe I can just yeah. offer something to somebody else. Like, what yeah. if I just like offered this? Like, I'm not the expert here. I'm just this person offering this. Like, can we all just be in this together? And I was literally leading Zoom sessions out of my car because that was like the quietest place. And it was just like, it was so freeing and it was so awesome. And we had so many great conversations and um, I still get emails about that. And people are like, are you going to do that again? Because that was, I I ran them for like three months and they were so great. Um, So that was really how I got through those first few months. Like once I got over the initial, like, oh my God, everything's upside down. What are we going to do? And so I just jumped into being of service.
1: Yeah. That's, you know, the thing I've gotten from also the 12 steps have been so are so helpful to me too. And the thing from Al-Anon or any 12-step program of like, I think there's an Aung San Suchi quote about this, but it's like, when you're feeling helpless, help someone. And that is the only, it's kind of the same thing as pausing. Like pausing never feels like the most effective solution. <laughs> But it always is. And when I'm feeling overwhelmed and stressed and so in my head about something, the only thing that's made me feel better is to turn to my friend and be like, "How can I help you?" You know? And just that in not in a they're dependent way, you know, I think there's probably a gray area, but that has always fulfilled me in ways that, you know, it, I think it's just how we're wired to help each other. and that makes so much sense,
0: you know, and it also, pulls in this piece, which I didn't touch on earlier, but just really, we've talked a lot about the nervous system in the body, but what's so amazing about the nervous system in recent development in the last like seven or eight years, Stephen Porges coined this term, the social nervous system, right? And so it's actually part of our, it's another branch in our parasympathetic nervous system. And often when we think of parasympathetic nervous system, we think of what we've always been taught, which is rest and digest, which is still holds up. It's still completely accurate. But what he's discovered is there's actually another branch of the parasympathetic nervous system and he calls this the social engagement. And what's cool about this branch of the parasympathetic nervous system is that it's actually through the vagus nerve connected all the way up into our social engagement system. So it connects our hearing, our eyes, what we're seeing, it connects facial expressions. It also connects to our vocal toning, right? So all these systems that we're using to engage with each other. And so I think for something like, 12-step work or what we're talking about really. It's like when we don't know what to do, it's like connect, right? Connect with somebody else, show up and be of service. But there's the science now that's showing this is so essential and it's actually how we're wired. Like we are wired to be in connection and in community with each other. So there's another reason, a physiological reason, I should say, on why this feels so good and why it works.
1: Wow. And why maybe on the other end of things,
0: interpersonal things
1: affect us so intensely. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Fascinating. So I want to get in there a little bit deeper with you on who you are now and who you were before breathwork and some of these practices. You know, I know you mentioned your parents' divorce and you mentioned AA And you know, I think you you got started teaching yoga. Can you talk a little bit about where did you grow up, Ashley? I grew up in Atlanta. Atlanta, okay. I'm curious what you were like as a kid and what you were like before you got into yoga and these practices and and how you you discovered them.
0: When I was a, it's interesting. So I'm doing all this like deep work right now and kind of integrating a lot of. My younger selves, right? And I think we all have. It's like oftentimes in this kind of language or wellness world, we're talking about our younger self. But I really see my myself as having many younger selves. There's like five year old Ashley. There's eight year old Ashley. There's twelve year old Ashley. There's sixteen year old Ashley. You know, and they're all like different people and with different things going on. Um, Of course, there's some common threads, you know. But there's there's they have different challenges, right? And I was. I would felt different at different times in my life. And I remember saying to my partner recently, I was like, you know, five-year-old Ashley, like sh- there was stuff going on for sure. But for the most part, five-year-old Ashley was just very curious, really open. My mom tells stories. Like I would talk to anyone. I was not shy. I would just like walk up to adults and be like, hey, like, what's going on? Tell me about this. Like I just loved to talk. I was. Love. I was also like <laughs> I was verbal very early <laughs> like so and both my parents talk a lot and they're both super smart so I'm sure that just being around them too obviously you know rubbed off on me in that way which I'm very grateful for and you know I I was read to a lot when I was little but yeah it was just I was super curious and just loved loved connecting with people about anything you know always had a million questions and then as I got older it's like you know all the all the stuff that happens that a lot of kids go through, like the insecurities, like all the body changes. And then that coupled with everything that was going on at home and just really, aside from, you know, the therapist that my parents sent me to, I didn't really have anybody else to talk to about. And I should say, talk to honestly about what was happening. And, you know, no one else could really like hold the space for that. And so there's that Ashley, who was just much more quiet and withdrawn and sad and insecure. and like. Lost, you know, just really lost. That's how I think of myself in those kind of middle school years. And then by the time I got to high school, I was just in so much pain. I was, you know, numbing and self medicating very early, which is why I got sober when I was 21 because I was just not okay (laughs) in those years and just went through so much like that many people do when they're in addiction, when they're in their teenage years. It was just kind of one horror story after another. And when I got the opportunity and when my parents gave me this opportunity to go to rehab, I just took it and ran and something really shifted in my life. I think it was for me, one of the first times I ever felt like I was making a choice for myself and making what I would call now a more kind of adult decision. Like, okay, I know I've had like so many shitty things happen and I know I felt really bad about myself for a long time. And yet there's this like one little, like this little tiny tiny, like the tiniest piece of me ever, like as, as tiny as like a grain of sand. There's some little piece of me that ooh, wants something different, and that was the only thing I could go on, you know. And I don't know what it was inside of me, and today I still don't really know what that piece was. It was just like it was like this quiet voice. It was just like you're worth saving, and then it like came and went. You know what I mean? It wasn't like okay, I'm worth saving, and now I feel great, and the rest of my life is happily ever after. But it was just like the split second. I heard this little voice and it was just, you're worth saving. And I just, I kind of like hit the ground running. And when I landed in my first yoga class, after I'd moved across the country to go to grad school, that's when I had that shavasana experience. And that's when another layer opened up for me where I was like, oh, I've been sober for a few years. I finished grad school. I've definitely been taking care of myself, but I'm still having all these Problems and relationships. I'm still like picking really horrible people to be in relationship with. I'm still doing X, Y, and Z, you know, and I'm still out of my body. <laughs> I'm still out of my body. Um, it's really hard to pick somebody to be with who's like, you know, for me, it was really hard for me to pick someone to be with who was like good for me if I wasn't even home to begin with, you know? It's like I kind of got to be in my body if I want to have the kind of relationship I want to have. Yeah. Um, so that was this whole other journey. And then I landed in a breathwork class, mostly just out of curiosity, but also, like I had mentioned before, like looking for a way to get to that kind of integrated, peaceful state without having to do all the yoga first. I was like, there's got to be some, like, and it's not for those listening, this isn't about like hacking or all that stuff. I like really don't believe in that. I don't think there's like, I don't think breathwork is a life hack. I actually like really despise the word hack. I think that things actually are just much more complex than that and that people are much more complex than that. And that it actually takes practice to get good at something like there's no hack. Even if you want to do a hack, you have to do the hack a lot. You have to practice it, right? So I got into breath work looking for just something that I could do that would essentially just calm me down faster than having to do an hour long yoga class. And and it really worked. And I did all these trainings and over many years and the encouragement of, one of my old yoga teachers who still teaches in LA, who I love dearly, he was just like, you've got to be teaching. Like, you've got to teach. I was like, me? Little old me? He's like, yes, you need to be teaching. Like, go go get a job. I was like, how? He's like, you have lots of resources. Like, just go figure it out, you know? And so I just went and called a couple studios and I was like, hey, I just finished my teacher training. My teacher says I should teach. Do you guys have any openings? Mm -hmm. And and just really put myself out there, you know? And I was like, okay, I'm just going to try this thing. Like, let's see. But it's like going back to what we were talking about before. It's like that flow. It's like, I just started calling studios and I started getting jobs and I started teaching and taught my first yoga class at the studio in Silverlink that doesn't exist anymore. But I think there must've been 40 people in my first class. And I remember what, because I took over this other teacher who was basically leaving the studio she had these super full classes. Had been teaching there for a couple of years, and the owner of the studio was like, "You can take over her classes." And I was like, "Oh my god, no, I can't! Like, I just finished my teacher certification. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, I can't go in there and teach people yoga, 40 people. Like, oh my god." And she's like, "No, you can do this." And t- it's like my experience with Tony and my experience with her, and I had this experience at other points in my life, but I've I've got this like story of people showing up at just the right time to kind of mirror to me and kind of show me more of myself when I wasn't able to see it. It's like, I didn't believe I could do it, but there they were being like, you've got this, go, you can do this. Like just walk in there. You're going to be fine. We we believe you, like we trust you. And there was something about that that just gave me the, like the energy to keep going. And to this day, just so grateful and have so much respect and gratitude for all the mentors that I've had in my life who've been able to kind of mirror back to me when I couldn't mirror that for myself, you know? Mm, Yeah. Like bless them all.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was just thinking about this recently. A guest of the podcast, Josh Radner said once that on the show, he was like, sometimes we have to outsource how we see ourselves to people who care about us because that will be more close to who we actually are than how we see ourselves when we're down. And I think having friends and cozy people around us to do that is great, but having a mentor do that and help you when your career is in a malleable place can be incredibly life-changing. I'm so happy that happened for you.
0: Oh, I love what he said. That's just, yeah, what he said, basically. It's good, you can, right? just, delete, it's really you can good. just delete what I said and just put no, that in. No, that was no, it. no.
1: No, it's so good. I'm curious about breathwork. What was a session with you like? I am so curious right now. I don't know very much about it, really. I'm kind of embarrassed to say. And I think, you know, you've been doing it for a long time and there's a lot more people who have popped up and someone i used to work with for my birthday last year gave me a breathwork session with someone who's in venice and like then it was covid and i like never did it and we've been much like us <laughs> been emailing back and forth and like i actually have the session next week so i'm i'm kind of curious about it but what would you say to someone who's listening to this conversation and is curious about breathwork or curious about you know starting somewhere with some of these practices that, that you're describing? I know you have a lot of places that we can link to that they can turn to, but what can they, and what can I expect?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, the cool thing about breath work is that it's, it's a lot like yoga or meditation, right? So there's so many different schools of thought. There's so many different ways that people practice and teach. There's so many different styles. So it's, it's really about the, particular person that you're working with, you know, what their, you know, teaching credentials are and the way that they practice and like what they're into is going to inform how they teach. You know, there's definitely like, just like with yoga, there's no like teacher who, not all teachers are the same way. Or you like Um, a teacher and you
1: don't like another just because you didn't connect or for whatever reason, like you were saying with a therapist kind of.
0: Yeah, exactly. So for me, like in my sessions, like when I work with people, Um, you know, the number one thing that I'm working with, with folks is first to just attune to them because that to me is again, the foundation of the session. If I just jump into a session and like chit chat with them and then I'm like, okay, let's like go into this really intense breathing session. Like I haven't established any safety with them. I haven't established any trust. And, and sometimes in a session with folks, like we might not even get into like Breathing the in the first session, because we're just establishing all of that. And you know when people come to me, it's they're coming because there's a lot going on. And I'll say, especially in this last year, there's so much overwhelm, there's so much uncertainty. and and of course, there's been so many good and important things that have come out of this last year. It's not like it's just all grief. there's been a lot of grief, and there's been a lot of just, people just really needing to be kind of supported and shored up. And sometimes it's not always best to just dive into some childhood trauma before we've like established, you know, just really setting some kind of ground rules for both of us. And so, and really getting attuned. And again, like, I feel like we can build, and me as a practitioner, I feel like I can build trust and safely you know, relatively quickly with people, but it's definitely something that I spend a lot of time on because I also know that when I work with people, once we have trust and safety, like their nervous system and their body is going to open so much more and they're going to get so much more out of the breathing practices and they're going to be able to integrate the work on a much deeper level. Right. It's like the difference in habit. It's like, we could be having a conversation you and I, which is just like much more surface. We could just be like chit chatting and that's one way to have a conversation. And there's another way to have a conversation, which I feel like is what we're doing is where we're actually attuning to each other. And we're just continuing to just go on this journey of going deeper and deeper and deeper. And to me, that's more what a breathwork session is like when I work with somebody. It's like, let's get attuned and let's just like follow the body's natural rhythm and let's support it in whatever way that we can. So whatever needs to emerge can emerge. And again, we'll, it will emerge in a titrated way because I'm I'm holding that container and I'm holding that intention to not let my clients leave the session completely blown out. Like back in the day when I saw people in person, I'd want them to be able to drive home afterwards, you know what I mean? And not feel like they needed to go on a walk for two hours before they could get in their car. It's like, there are things that I'm always cautious of in a session when I'm working with people. And there are so many different layers that I'm holding as a practitioner to ensure that safety on multiple levels and to ensure that they have a session that they can then go integrate um, that doesn't always mean that folks are gonna feel amazing after a session. Sometimes there's you know more processing to be done, but at least it's contained enough.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah. I had yeah. a session in Bali with someone and he had to take me home on his motorbike after because I like couldn't navigate myself home, <laughs> which is care. You said in another episode that I listened to where you said about breath work it helps you unhook and give space from whatever is happening and be with it and I just thought that was so beautiful and I can I can see how that sort of work can be really intense and, and opening so working with that and and knowing that is really helpful
0: it is really helpful and I just want to say too because I think this is an important piece especially in light of this last year for all of us but and I'm saying this, you know, for folks who have PTSD or for folks who have suffered from trauma, like if you're going to be working with a breath, like just be sure you check out your practitioner's credentials because you want to make sure that they've had like extensive training and trauma and and that their practice is actually trauma-informed. And so many people, average, it's like very loose, like the, oh, breath work can heal trauma, but a lot of people don't actually have the training. And I'm saying that, um, just to do the due diligence and really look and do the research and don't be afraid to ask questions just like you would with a doctor or just like you would with a therapist, like really take this um, seriously for yourself because it's, it's really important. There's so many ways that, you know, we can support clients and students. And that's just a big thing that I will always suggest to people is just to make sure that whoever they're seeing, like has, has what they're looking for and that they have all the pieces that they need.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, well said. And also, I imagine breath work is something that can be done on your own. And you have a lot of tools and resources and courses, and, and your first book. Can you point someone in the direction of how to engage with your work first?
0: Yeah, of course. So I typically suggest starting with my book, How to Breathe. It's got 25 practices in it. And this is even for clients who, like new clients, will reach out and they'll be like, I want to become a client. Of yours, what do I, you know? How do I do that? And first, I'll say, have you read How to Breathe? <laughs> Usually, they have because that's often how they find me too. Sometimes, especially new folks. But if they haven't, I'll say, please read How to Breathe. Please choose a practice in the back. Like I said, there's 25. Just pick one. Like you can even go through the first couple of pages. There's a table of contents, and it has the name of each practice, and each practice is just a one-word name, and they're all done by emotion. So Ooh. you can just pick, pick, right, what you want, and then. You can even run your finger down it like an oracle. Like, I wanted to design it in a way that there's like kind of no pretense for it. You just open yourself up, pick one, open to the page of the book, read it, and then practice it. And they'll typically suggest just doing that practice for two weeks. If you can, seven to 14 days every day at whatever time of day makes sense for you, practicing potentially in the morning for a couple of days, in the afternoon for a couple of days, and just see what works for your schedule. A lot of times people want to know like when is the best time of day or night to practice breath work. And if you don't have a family and you have lots of time, I would say get up at like 4 a.m. and practice breath work if you can. That's awesome. I did that for many years when I was you know, in between relationships, but now that's not really an option for me. So for me, the best time to practice breath work is when I can get it in. And sometimes that's in the morning and sometimes it's in the evening. That's typically where I'll start. So read the first few chap, like the first two chapters. Learn about your nervous system. Learn why breath work is important. Kind of go through how to start a practice on your own, and then pick your practice in the book that you want to do. And then for those of you who are like, okay, yeah, I've got all that. Like, what's the, what's next? <laughs> um, I do a monthly uh, guided session. So, and again, they're thematic, just like my book, and some of them are based on the book. Um, and then some of them are just brand new. So we're actually launching on this week. It's launched on the new moon every month. This month, the theme is uh, creativity. So hmm. it's a breathwork practice specifically designed to like help prime your brain to get into a flow state. It's actually yeah. one. <laughs> it's really fun. I've actually been using it a lot, especially when I feel blocked around the book and it it works really well and really often. So it's great for that. So that's a monthly offering that I do. And there's an audio recording that I have this amazing sound engineer. He like just make, I don't know, he like works his magic. It just sounds so amazing when he's finished with it. And then there's journal prompts and there's kind of, you know, suggestions on how to go deeper and those kinds of things. So that's every month. Um, And then end of this year, that is going to kind of roll into a monthly membership, well, then you'll have access to all those classes. And then, you know, there'll be some live things. Everyone's kind of been ready for me to get back on my live teaching. And so once the manuscript is done, I'm going to pop back in so I can teach them live classes.
1: Cool. Wow. I'm so ha- excited to attend and get into all of that. I, I love that. And I think for people who have read my book, it, it's structured similarly with journaling prompts of I would say the same thing. like there's there's fifty five in mine, but it's like organized by category, but it's the same thing like I, I like when people just flip it open to a page and like that's or pick a number, you know, I think it's a really fun way to work with a book.
0: I agree. It's just and it really it keeps everything it's like everything's real and it's serious. but it, for me, it takes the pressure off like, oh, I have to do this in order, or oh, I want to get this right, you know? And it's like, okay, what am I feeling drawn to? Because again, that's another way to feel into our bodies and feel into ourselves.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You were speaking about feeling and being in connection and speaking about what you're feeling and relationships and not holding it in. And the part that I had heard before was you talking about how... It's better to show up to a conversation and like acknowledge, this is what's
0: happening in my body. Like, let me just level with you, you know? And that's part of it too. It's like, it's always interesting. And I love having conversations on podcasts. I think it's just so much fun. And it's just, for me, it's like, I'm all, you know, it's like, we all are, we're always growing and evolving. And so it's like, this is how I would talk about that today. Cause there's mm-hmm. this these other new layers. Cause I'm changing, like, thank God, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I think
1: about that all the time of like and and too, like, you know, I've I've recorded, you know, nearly 350 of these over the last 10 years of my life, nine years. And so much of it is like what I come with that day too. Like I was so excited to talk to you today, but I'm feeling and I I should have mentioned this at the top, but like as we were talking about like getting into your body, I'm like, oh, I feel all this anxiety and a I should have led with this, or just leveled with you and told you this right before. But I was like, I didn't want to reschedule because I'm really want to. As we as we as discussed, we've been emailing for two years. But a friend of mine, their someone close to them died, and I've just been feeling the heaviness of that. And it's not someone I know close, but you know, I I I've just been feeling, you know they, this person was really young and it was really tragic and they have kids and I know their kids very well. And it's just heavy, you know? And I like came to this conversation with the heaviness of that. And like, that will change the dynamic of, of this, you know, it's like we come with whatever we have that day. And that's why I love podcasting because it's such a time capsule of the moment we were in. And, you know, you'll probably come on the show again and and you'll be in a different place and I'll be in a different place. Maybe we'll be in physically in the same place. <laughs> um, that would
0: be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Next time
1: we'll probably do this in person, but you know, I mean, it's such a, a picture of of where we were. And I think, you know, I, I was talking with my friend about social media the other day and I said to her, I was like, so do you think it'll be like, Go away, and she's like, "No, or where this phenomenon is like, it's definitely gonna just be here. It'll change for sure, like it has, but it's probably not." And and I was like, "Well, I feel the opposite about podcasting. I feel like it's such a welcomed phenomenon because it's long and slow, and you know, radio essentially, which has been around for hundreds of years. You know, so anyway, that's just my my tangent of what I." what we're kind of talking about
0: yeah I totally agree and also just it's also like not you know there's no like weird algorithm that's like here's what you can and can't see on your podcast feed you know what I mean it's yeah it's amazing I I think there's so yeah it just has there's so much there in terms of just the accessibility and like the way that you have creative control and just all the things I think it's really incredible
1: yeah I agree
0: Okay. Well, I could keep talking to
1: you for hours and I hope I get to soon. And who knows, maybe we'll be in the voice text exchanges with each other that we are with Aaron and Noah. Right. yes add me to add me to your list please <laughs> i've heard we both send over because i am often right now i'm sitting on like 20 minutes of oh yeah content yeah. that of theirs so that i have to listen to and i feel like i'm they've told me that it's often you know the from both of us we're we're all we're telegrams across the continent i love it oh my gosh okay well, all right. So some of these are, are light and some of them are a bit bigger. What is the best thing you've eaten in the last week?
0: Beans from this amazing bean company up in Napa, Rancho Gordo. They do all these heirloom beans from California and Mexico. And I put them in my Instapot and I had in particular, their, their white lima beans and they were amazing with really nice olive oil and salt.
1: Mm. Oh my God. That sounds
0: incredible. What's your favorite food of all time? Probably a really, really fancy sourdough with like French salty butter on top. Mm. Oh my God. That sounds really incredible.
1: (laughs) You gave this tool for anxiety. I host a whole nother podcast about anxiety, but you said that it's a tool of noticing. Could you talk about that?
0: Yeah. So one of the, it's a great tool noticing, or sometimes I call it orienting. And so it's really about getting super present, right? So what this could look like is right now, I'll just do it out loud. I'm looking at my window. I'm noticing a green leaf on a bush. I'm noticing the way the light is hitting the window across the street. I'm noticing the pine tree just slowly moving in the wind. And so noticing is a way of slowing yourself down and becoming present and then the anxiety will start to shift.
1: Love that. Thank you.
0: You're a very successful
1: person and you seem very grounded and special to me even in the like little bit that I know you. Has there been a piece of advice that's helped you to grow or something that's helped you recently you can share?
0: I think the what I mentioned before is what's coming up is just having that psychologist so early on to sit with me in attunement and presence. And I often think about like what I would say to my younger self and think about what my younger self needed, especially around the age of like 10 and like between 10, 11, 12. And that's really what I needed most. I needed attunement and I needed presence. And so if I was sitting with her, I would ask her if I could sit next to her And then instead of just getting up and going to sit next to her before she really had a chance to check in, I would ask her to check in with herself. And then I would ask her to tell me how close or how far away she wanted me to be. And then I would adjust my distance to her based on whatever it was that she said. And then from there, I would just simply sit with her and just give her space to just feel herself start to come online. Mm,
1: That's so beautiful. Thank you. What is your greatest lesson on friendship?
0: These are supposed to be rapid fire. I know my mind. Like, oh. Take your time. <laughs> like my brain is like, oh. This has definitely been my greatest. Here's my it's my greatest lesson kind of in retrospect. And this goes back to what we were talking about a lot, which is talking about what's going on for you, right? And like learning how to do that. And I definitely had friendships in the past. Where, and this is before I'm like dating myself. This is before like ghosting was a thing before, like, but I definitely have ghosted people in the past when I got overwhelmed or when things came up that I didn't have the tools or the capacity to explore in relationship. You know, it's like when things would get really hard or really ugly, like I would just tap out. Hmm. and i I, re- I regret that. I really regret that. And I also know that I just it's not about beating myself up because I really didn't have any tools for dealing with any of it. But fast forward to now, I had this friend and I used to go to this summer camp in North Georgia. It was, I grew up Jewish. And so there were all these like Jewish summer camps. It's like a thing if you're a Jew um, to go to to these camps in the summer and like kayak and shoot bow and arrow and ride horses and just do like campy things. Um, And so I had this friend there, this woman who I was very, very, very close with for many years. And then once I kind of just really went off the rails in high school. I stopped reaching out to her and I just kind of cut ties to her. And it actually wasn't because we got in a fight or anything bad happened. It was was because I couldn't bear to tell her how much pain I was in. And I'm even like getting like teary-eyed now, just thinking about it. Like she was like such a special friend to me. And it was just so painful to even think about talking to her about that stuff because we just had such different lives and I had so much shame and just just so filled with so much shame. And she reached out to me when my, my book came out and emailed me and just said, Hey, I think about you so much. And, you know, I'm so happy your book came out and I bought one for my sister and I live in New York now and I have two kids and, and I'm, (laughs) and so that was, so the book's been out for two years. So I'm just now in the process of writing her this really long email just basically saying like, I'm so grateful for our friendship and here's why I tapped out. And not as because I need her forgiveness at all. It's not about that, but it's just about that, really that atonement. And, you know, I've, it's like, you know, I grew up Jewish. So we we have this practice of like atoning. Right. And it's this practice of like really just coming clean. And again, not for forgiveness, but just to be like, here's what happened. This was not your fault this was what was going on with me. This is why I made those choices. And so I'm like, anyway, that's what's coming up as you ask me that because I'm thinking about her a lot and I'm just about to finish this email and send it to her. And I feel like it's going to be such a big, mm. um, it's just going to be really big for both of us. And I don't even know what it's going to mean. But for me, it feels like, oh, I'm finally like closing the loop on something that has been open and like a sore spot for so many years. So.
1: Wow. Thank you for sharing that. It's interesting. My my friend Kayleen Schaefer wrote this book about female friendship called Text Me When You Get Home. And we've been talking a lot about friend breakups. And it's just something that there's a lot of information and as they say, experience strength and hope around breakups, but like not really around romantic breakups, I should say, but not as much around friend breakups, which are clearly, you know, or just friend changes or whatever clearly emotional and clearly charged and intense. And it's interesting. Thank you for sharing that. are welcome. What is your greatest lesson on spirituality? God, what do you think happens when we die?
0: I think one of, you know, I think about spirituality being in every day. And I think about like, historically, like we've turned to like religion for ritual and for meaning and for, you know, consistency and for community, right? For all these different things, all these different aspects of spirituality. And I think in the landscape that most of us are living in now, it's like less about quote unquote religion and just more about like, how do we find God or how do we find spirit and just every day. And what does that look like? And how can we connect to that? And how do we make time for that? And so for me, spirituality is literally like walking on the land with my son and Nick and just feeling connected to them and feeling connected to the land and watching a Cooper's hawk fly overhead and looking down at the ground and seeing the like bobcat footprints and just feeling like we're a part of this whole thing. So for me, spirituality has so, it's like less about getting to some elevated state like out of my body and more about just being so present and so in every moment and making it a point to have gratitude and presence in each moment as much as I can. I love that. And as far as what happens when we die, oh, I don't know. Like I am, as I get older, I'm less and less afraid of death. And you know, I've had the experience of being with two different elders like as they took their last breath, my grandfather, um, my mom's dad, and also um, my partner's grandmother. And being with, and also my cat, really that's three sentient beings that I've been with as they've taken their last breath. And there's something just so like harrowing about that and also beautiful and peaceful. And like, I remember we had to, when we put our cat down and I was with him um, this past fall, after he got attacked and holding his Mm -hmm. body and then he took his last breath and I was breathing with him and just holding him and, you know, crying and just all the things, but there was so much gentleness. There was so much presence and I could feel his spirit, like really leaving his body and kind of swirling around the room, but I don't know where it goes. I don't know. And I'm, I'm so curious about it. Mm. That's so fitting
1: how you said that last breath with you. (sighs) <sighs> wow. Okay. Well, I love talking to you. I actually have so many more questions, but I have to go. <laughs> I want to keep talking. <laughs> so let's do this again. I would love for you to come back. But first, you know, the name of the show is Let It Out. So is there anything that you wish that you would have gone to let out? Something that you want to talk about that you never get to talk about that you'd still like to
0: share? Oh, I love that question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Such a wonderful question. But I feel the same as you. I'm like, we need to have another conversation, but like many more conversations and voice mm-hmm. notes and all the things. But in terms of right now and hang I with Erin and Noah. Yeah. Like we're going to Australia. Okay. You guys, we're coming. So just Dear hang me. on tight. Yeah. <laughs> we know where you live. Well, Katie does. So I'll find out. Um, but Honestly, after our, like right now, and especially where we landed, I feel really complete and really good. Oh, Good. Well, that's great.
1: Well, I think you will like the last thing that we do, which is, as I think, you know, we let out a deep breath together. So, well, I'm going to have you
0: lead us in this, this time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, little, this will be fun. So when you're ready, we'll take a deep inhale through your nose. And then hold at the top. And then as you're ready and exhale out of the mouth.
1: Let it out. We did it. Thank you so much, Ashley. I can't thank you enough
0: for everything you shared and being here on the podcast.
1: It was really good to talk to you.
0: It was my pleasure. I am so grateful for our time together today. And I look forward to staying connected. That's my episode with
1: Ashley Neese. Follow her on Instagram. Let us know that you were listening all the way to the end by putting the secret emoji that I'm going to tell you in a second on my Instagram, on Ashley's Instagram, on Let It Out's Instagram. Let It Out is just let it out with three Ts. I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm so grateful that Ashley and I finally got to do this and I'm excited to have her back on again. I'm excited to read her new book. I'm excited to get into breath work. I really learned a lot in this episode and I hope that you did as well. If you liked it, please share it with a friend. It really helps support this show so we can keep doing it. Share it. And if you really, really liked it and want to take the time to leave a review on iTunes, I'm still, after nine years, asking for those. It would be very, very helpful if you have a second to do that. And if you want to keep in touch with me, Instagram, I'm at Katie katydalebout. Or if you want to get the Let It Out letter show notes emails sent to your inbox, the link to do that will also be in the show notes. And get obsessed with Ashley. Get her book and follow everything that she does because, as you can tell, she's the real deal. She is a true gem. Okay, the emoji for this week's episode is... Oh, first, (laughs) such a tease. If you want to book a session with me let me know if you have any questions on that creative consulting the link that explains creative consulting will be in the show notes and last but not least one more fruit update I feel like I'm Michael Barbaro being like and here's what else you need to know putting a fig in the freezer is one of the best things you can do No, I was just gonna say sprinkling, I mean it true, truly it kind of is, but sprinkling cinnamon and sea salt on fruit is truly incredible. I have a lot of fruit in my refrigerator right now because my friend Christine, you guys know Christine if you've been listening, we recently made a video together and by the time you're listening to this, it will probably be up. So I will let you know as soon as it is. But we have a couple videos that we've done together. We made my kale salad, and we did a fruit and yogurt bowl recently. And this new one, I'm gonna let it be a surprise, but go check out her channel. Anyway, I've been eating a lot of fruit and well, what else is new, I always am, but I'm putting it in the freezer and cherries in the freezer are really great. Get those Northwest cherries. I truly love them. Okay. Emoji this week is, it's the wind, like breath, get it? Wind, like, you know, I think there's a wind emoji. I think you'll find it. So comment that on my Instagram, on Ashley's Instagram. Let it out. Love you. Bye.